welcome to Dove and Dragon Radio. Sorry, I'm your sorry I, I was saying <laughs> we have a lag here today. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I was just saying she did mention that you'd been in touch with her, and I'm really happy to hear that. That's some great news. Mm-hmm. And you both are very driven people, so it's a good little combination, I think. It is a wonderful combination. So I'm happy you connected us. Yeah, and, and yeah, I, I'm really. I, I was quite surprised when Raven said that you know you were working together and. Um, uh, you know, I noticed when I was talking to you, you, you sort of care about your writers and your mm-hmm. your your seem to have your finger on the pulse, and 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 she's very similar like that. She she um she just seems to take an extra interest in the writers and where they're going and what they want. And I had a, a manager beforehand, and um and he was terrible compared to Raven. You know, so I I sort of tasted some bad management and then got a taste of good management and thought, oh. I got I got very lucky, but I am so glad that you're um, you're working together. Yes, thank you again for connecting us. You are the connector. <laughs> no problem. So if you are ready, <laughs> no problem at all. I am sorry about interrupting you. No worries. Welcome to Dove and Dragon Radio. I'm your host Emma Rustrak. I'm back with one of my favorite authors, Robert Lee Johnston. Welcome. Hello, Melissa. G'day. How are you doing? Good. It's always fun having you on the show. Now, we Thank have... You for having me back. I love it. Well, we don't have the ducks or the geese quacking to this time yet. Not yet. They'll, they'll probably hear me walking and come up and interrupt when they can. <laughs> of course they will. I'm trying to give you a little... You know what? It's a very beautiful background. And it fits perfectly Excellent. with your book because this is where it takes place is in your backyard, basically. Just that's right. Um, uh, Cairns, the city where the Great Barrier Reef is, is, is just down the road from me. So I, I use that as the setting in this book. And um, so, yeah, there's a lot of green, a lot of trees, a lot of water around. And, and of course, the Great Barrier Reef, that's, that, that's the big sort of attraction in there. Oh, yes, we love our Great Barrier Reef because that protects all the nature that needs to be protected in that area. Yeah, that's right. And and it sort of puts a new light on it because uh, the, the main character, Lucifer, Luce, he, he's never seen Australia before, all this sort of stuff. And um, he, he comes to Earth once every hundred years. It's his long service leave. And mm-hmm. he gets a year off every hundred years. And... and even though I'm talking about religious characters in the book, it's not at all religious. So I've put a new spin on religion and it's basically a business. And uh, so he's just a tired man who's got a really bad job, who hates his job. Um, and you know, everyone can pretty much relate to a job they hate and having to get up into a morning and, and uh, doing a job they despise. So I had quite a lot of fun with that. And of course, he's never seen the Great Barrier Reef before or... or the 21st century Um, right you have the cell phones you have the computers you have what has changed in the last hundred years i mean if you look at it as a snapshot everything's changed (laughs) everything and i really thought that was quite a great idea when i was coming up with the thought of the book because particularly in the last hundred more than any decade we've motored ahead so so fast and it, it has its um 
it has its positives. You know, uh, we definitely have uh, technology helping us out and, and we have all the mod cons. But there's also, if we were to take a snap glimpse at us now, we're also pretty nasty to the planet. We don't really take care of it. Well, the, the reef is 60% dead, you know, like mm -hmm. I, I've lived here all my life nearly and where I used to swim as a child, I have to walk four kilometres out to find coral where once I used to just be paddling around in coral as a child. And people talk about the bleaching and, and it dying, but they seem to put a positive spin on it that we're fixing it somehow. And it's really not the truth. So even though the book is a comedy, it shines a light on three or four pretty serious subjects. And, um, and with those fresh eyes of his, it sort of puts a a light on the subjects without them being rammed down our throats or sort of slapped in the face too much about it. Right. It's a perfect blend of, hey, this is reality versus, hey, we're going to slap it across your face to make you realize this reality. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And I had a, a wonderful stroke of luck. Um, my first book is quite confronting and my editor had a bit of a hard time dealing with that. And then I sent him my second book and he, he wrote me an email saying, do you know that I'm an ex-minister? And I said, no. And he said, what are you doing to religion? I really love it. And, and, and because I had, um, I've never been to church and I'm not at all churchy. I, I had lots of questions as far as, you know, what roles did archangels play and these sorts of things. And I wasn't sure if they were male or female. And he's a bit of a disillusioned ex-minister, I should add. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I rang him one day and said, you know, these archangels, are they male? Are they female? He said, no one knows. And everyone just made it up. So no matter what you write, it's not going to be any different to what was made right. up there, No one really knows. It's all made up anyways. And I have a degree in yeah. religious studies. So I know it's all made up because regardless of what religion you're studying, it's all different. So whatever <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and you know as a writer that's a wonderful platform to work from mm -hmm. where there's so much belief in something we haven't seen yet so there's a fair bit of comedy to be had there if you can pick the right sort of scenarios and places and um and one thing i've done with him is i've made him no better than any other human no woman or no man is better than him and uh he's exactly like us and uh, in fact, in, in one of the parts of the book, he watches some B-grade movies and he sees himself represented terribly. And it's the cliche, Lucifer, we know, you know, he's mm -hmm. handsome and he comes back to earth and he's, he's the most rugged, beautiful man you've ever seen. And sex-starved women throw themselves at him and he heals instantly and all these ridiculous powers. Well, because it's a, a long-service holiday and he's got God to deal with, and God loves his Ten Commandments. Well, he has Ten Commandments to follow while he's on earth too. And, and he can't let anyone know who he is. And he has no choice over his gender. And uh, that opens up quite a few doors. And, and, and God in the book, we, we just have the premise that it's real. And God has a sense of humor that can't be matched by any of us. So every time poor old Lucifer comes back, for the last 6,000 years, you know, God's given him a limp and a bung eye and, and pregnant and all sorts of horrible situations. And uh, over 6,000 years, God's sort of just given him a real little taste of something very, very different and given him a taste of far north Queensland and the tropics and clean living and clean food. And uh, 
whereas he's hated Earth and never really liked coming back and found anything endearing, um, this time he, he sees a lot of beauty here and life is a lot more about living rather than just existing and he, he kind of likes that. See, that's a great message. Just that one little section. It's about living, not just existing. Yeah, that's right. And and we're all we've all been guilty of it, haven't we? Mm -hmm. It's a very easy trap to fall into. And I suspect maybe have you ever sort of found yourself in that situation? I did. And then I woke up one day, was in the hospital after the stroke. I said, Oh no, I can't just exist anymore. <laughs> And, 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 you know, unfortunately, it's the big kick in the pants that does it. You know, um, mm -hmm. I, I'm very grateful for some bad things that happened to me in my life because it um, really woke me up quite quickly to the fact that, you know, you've got to enjoy this ride as long as you can. And, and there's always going to be bad things that happen. But, you know, try and try and keep everything moving forward and positive. And, and uh, you know, if someone like Lucifer, who is renowned for hating mankind, hating men, if he can find a little bit of beauty in the 21st century and, overlook people's sexual orientation um the way they look the way they dress and then i think maybe all of us can can um take a little sort of leaf out of his book if you like exactly it's not just about what other people are doing you have to a focus on yourself and find the beauty yeah. around you that's exactly right and and look even people here uh, there's a lot of locals and perhaps your country is guilty of this as well um, if you live somewhere beautiful, you're the last person to go bushwalking, to enjoy it, to go to the local swimming holes, to the locals are the worst. You know, the locals here can go, walk around with their heads down and, and not see anything. And I think I was guilty of that for a long time because I spent a lot of my childhood here. I had to get away because I disliked the area. It was just, I had to move forward. Um, but when I came back, I realized that I, I wasn't taking notice of all the beauty. It actually took me to miss the place to actually recognize how wonderful it is here. And, and like life lessons, I think sometimes um, we have to go through the worst of times to get the best out of our lives. It's a, it's a contradiction in itself and an oxymoron almost. But a lot of my friends that have had life-changing experiences, it's always come after something very a big foot has kicked them right in the bum, basically. <laughs> exactly. You don't think about what you're doing until life says, oh, no, you have to change what you're doing. There's no ifs, ands, yeah. or buts anymore. We're going to make you change. And we must be a terrible species at taking hints because, you know, we must get 100 hints before that great big boot kicks us right there, you know, but we it's that great big shake that gets us. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and Lucifer was also... Uh, a panacea for me because tribute was quite a, uh, an emotional uh, heavy book and um, I didn't want to and that was my first book I, I didn't want to tread lightly with my first book um, I, I noticed a lot of authors sort of come out with something sweet first and and try to win their their readers over and I never wanted to play like that I, I just wanted to get out there and, and you want to be in their face and that's it <laughs> Yeah, that's right. And, and I'm not afraid of that. Um, but it did it did put a cloud over me for a couple of months after writing the book. And if I'm honest, maybe a year, the, a couple of the characters haunted me. And so Lucifer was almost like the blues to that. It was a bit of a cure. I wanted to laugh and I wanted I wanted to read something and make me laugh out loud and giggle for a while. And uh, 
I think because I had the bad happen first with my writing, it was quite easy to bring some a real fresh, light, easygoing attitude. But at the same time, I still wanted the same punch that my first book had. So um, I had to, using that style, try to um, create something that when you do put it down, you think about it afterwards. So mm -hmm. the reef and nature and his nature, I, I think does that to a certain degree. It really does sound like you blended it perfectly. And it's the good and the bad blended because there is no such a thing as true evil or true good. There's good and evil in everyone and everything. Yeah, and, and, and that, that was really fun to play with because you know all the dogmas of religion, if you've ever smoked a joint in your life, you're going to hell. If you've had mm -hmm. sex outside of marriage, you're going to hell. And uh, poor old Lucifer, he's just snowed under because um, gluttony and vanity and all these things are a part of everyday first world society now. Mm -hmm. um, you know, 200 years ago, these things were something you'd repent for for a year. Now, now it's part of every day of our lives. And, and so in the book, we're all going to hell. <laughs> and and he, he's not interested in our personalities to him. He's an accountant of sorts. So we're just numbers. And he's sick of these numbers. And he, when he comes to Australia, he, he meets a person that smokes a joint and he, he meets a person that has sex with the same sex or is a, a transgender. And he realizes that these people, other than the things they do to themselves, they're beautiful people. They don't hurt anybody. They have great hearts. They actually become his friends. So it makes him look at how uh, religion has to be uh, evolved to match our evolving standards because I think religion is losing popularity um, and I am not religious but I'm very spiritual and I, I, I think a lot of my friends are and I, I think you are too from mm -hmm. just talking to you. I'm very spiritual. I'm, I don't yeah. go with organized religion even though I have a degree in it. I actually go away from it because it's complete total malarkey to me. <laughs> and, and it sort of almost matches but it doesn't for people in our mm -hmm. situation we want something that we can express that with and and I, I always thought at the end of the day that the the big picture is we just want to be with the people we love and exactly and even though my heaven heaven doesn't have angels in it or you know harps it definitely has everyone I love there and and if you talk to most people who aren't into massive religions they they all have a little bit of spirituality whether it be we're part of the universe or stardust or these mm -hmm. sorts of things and it can sound a little bit corny to talk out loud about but when you read about it it's actually quite interesting i think you know especially if you could put a little bit of comedy in there just to see the folly of some of religion's thoughts and traditions and 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 get a fresh um Perspective. perspective on it being okay to be spiritual and, and mm -hmm. it's okay to not think there's a god but still think oh, i'm going to see my loved ones and the, the people i care about right it's um, taking okay we have family members that maybe same sex orientated or they cross dress or whatever in religion says oh no you can't do that well we're in the 21st century yes you can <laughs> Yeah. And, and, you know, to be, to, to have the fear of no afterlife or being mm -hmm. um, 
restricted from some place or pushed away from some place just for things like that. And 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 I do bring up more serious things in there like mm-hmm. heroin use and and drug addiction on on a, a larger scale and. And even to the same degree, I, I believe that with those people too, you know, if they're not hurting anybody else, uh, I don't really mind what they do to themselves. If I love them, of course, I'll try and intervene. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I went to Amsterdam pre-COVID and I really fell in love with how people have the freedom of choice there. To, and, and most people aren't fools. I, I smoke weed and I went there and... I was surprised how many people don't smoke weed because it's legal and mm-hmm. kids' parents do it and they're bored with it because their parents did it, you know, and they don't want to do what their parents did. Mm-hmm. And, and in my country, I can tell you for a fact that half of us at least put a joint in our mouths because it was illegal. Because yeah, was- That's exactly it. It's the yeah. fact that it's against the pro pro it's illegal you're not allowed to do it so i'm going to rebel and do it anyways once you make it legal people don't want to do it no more i don't want to do it and i I was really astounded because i figured this country everyone can do it everyone's going to be you know enjoying this thing and and well they had other better things to enjoy and and Mm -hmm. other things gave them that rush to do that were legal that Mm -hmm. they don't have to get that rush from something illegal and and so I put a lot of my friends who aren't here now in that situation, if we had had that freedom of choice, would we have been so interested in that? Would we have thought that was so cool because it's against the rules or what have you? And um, I found Amsterdam was full of the most loving people, the most broad-minded people. And it, I love my country and I'm, I'm not a huge patriot or anything like that, but I, I love my country. and. I was actually a bit embarrassed of my country over there because I realized we're very small-minded here. We're still 40 years behind the curve and we're, we're stuck in these shallow thoughts where people's gender is guaranteed known in your mind by posture, the way someone stands. He's a poof. If you smoke a cigarette wrong, he's a poof. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is how blatantly dry my country is. And, and, and it's... If you know the person, it's done in a fun gesture. Australians have a funny way of running you down with the sweetest tongue. And and you don't realise you've really been run down until you walk away. What what was I just called? (laughs) Um, Yeah, you have your own language there for sure. That's right. It's a different strain of English, and I'm I'm trying to teach all you Americans how to speak English properly, but it's it's going to be a long battle, I think. <laughs> but yes, um, yes, we need to learn to, English again. I don't know what we speak here, but it's not English. If it's a different strain altogether, but um, you know, those little concepts were really fun for me to latch onto, and I actually wasn't going to publish loose because it was just for me, just to make me laugh and, and make me laugh out loud. Mm-hmm. And um, and and a couple of people that read it were just like, that is a really sweet, fast-moving, um, light-hearted, fun book. And, and, I, and I kind of thought that myself, but I didn't think anyone would be interested in reading that sort mm-hmm. of book. And um, it's become the little engine that could. I sort of put it out there just, you know. Just to see what it'll do, and it's actually doing really well. 
doing really, really well. And, and people respond really beautifully to it. And, and a lot of people like yourself who have had religious backgrounds seem to love it the most. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know many people with religious backgrounds, but um, they seem to really like the new spin I've put on it and, and um, the general annual he heavenly meeting because, you know, what business today doesn't have 20 meetings a week now that just drive you crazy and mm -hmm. the meetings are for the colour of the carpet and the the fans and you know some of the meetings that I've attended in my life with department heads were absolute wastes of time that I'll never ever ever get back and so putting that meeting situation in heaven was really quite fun <laughs> All department it's, heads okay together. from a CEO point of view how many meetings have I sit through and go do I really need to be here today <laughs> That's right. You almost like become the kid at school where you're writing notes and throwing it to the cool person in the class, you know, so you've got some fun happening while you're in there. But, you know, every one of us can relate to that. We've all, if we haven't been in a CEO position where we're sitting with department heads, we've been sitting in an office with all the bosses there. Everyone sort of had to sit in those rooms and pretend to be interested and, and feign loyalty. And uh, I thought doing that with heavenly characters was, was really quite fun. <laughs> it, it is perfect because, okay, we're looking at it as a business now. You're not looking at a yeah. religion, you're looking at a business. So once you look at it as a business, you take away all the religion stuff and you have all this real world stuff that we all can relate to. And That's we go, right. do we have to be here? How many safety meetings have I been in as an entry level to up do I need to really know how to mop a floor? Don't, isn't that common yeah, that's sense? Right. That's right. <laughs> it, it just blows your mind away. And, and, and so to see that with the family connection as well is quite fun because once you take the, the or actually do what you said and put the business uh, model in there, then suddenly Lucifer trying to take over heaven was the son trying to take over dad's business and just improve it a little bit, you know, and dad's been doing this so long, we need to, we need to upgrade and we need to, you know, when dad's dead, we, we're going to change the business. But dad never dies. That old bugger just keeps hanging around, you know. And, and so then you go, oh, I, oh, I see this, is, this, this works, this connects. And it, it was funny how it meshed together for me because with the business idea just kept getting, it kept growing. And, mm -hmm. you know, as a writer yourself, once those ideas get roots and, and branch out, they really start writing themselves then. They really do. And then you go back after you have 800 pages or whatever. How did I write 800 pages? <laughs> right. Sometimes you wake up and you think, who wrote this? Um, it, it's good when it's a good writing too, because sometimes mm -hmm. I wake up and it's really bad writing. I go, oh my God, who wrote this? <laughs> it's a whole different sort of concept. But, um, you know, I think too, giving loose for a dog was, was very, very, easy to write for me. Once I realized he had to have a pet, I knew the pet wasn't going to be the pet that everyone uh, imagined in their head. So, so giving him a pet that no one would ever think possible was really fun. And, and of course, him being able to take the pet back with him in the end, I thought that was a sweet little touch as well. And, and uh, are you okay? You got some? Oh, my, I have an eyelash eye eye or something. I'm fine. It's, oh. <laughs> I started laughing. So I started crying automatically. And what happens when you cry? You have eyelashes go <laughs> because you're laughing. I thought and I have these a... super long natural eyelashes. Oh. So 
if I don't curl them, they just go right in my eye. Yeah, and and when they fall out, they fall right into your eye and they're stuck Mm -hmm. there all day long. Yeah, it's it's okay because I'm laughing and it's a good laugh. It's just now I'm crying. (laughs) But it's okay. Um, But, you know, this is a wonderful, wonderful story. It's fun just to talk about. So, you know, it's going to be a fun read. Yeah. And well, the, my test is I don't go near my books for a year or so after mm-hmm. I write them and then I come back to them and see if I still like them. And I've read Loose for maybe three or four times since I've written it. And I really love it. I still love it. I, I, it's one I'm really proud of because it's non-offensive. I, I'm very proud of my first book, but it's, you know, it's purposely offensive and it's purposely yeah. taking on large topics. And this one I like because I wasn't really, even the most uh, stoic of, of Christians will will appreciate what I've done there. You know, it's not tearing them to pieces or. No, or, it's not about religion at all, really. It's like you said, it's yeah. a family business. When you look at the family business, you just so happen to pull off religious figures and turn it into a business. You take the religion completely out. Now you can laugh about it. Yeah, that's right. That's so good. That's a great way to describe it. And someone once described it like Pineapple Express across the Ten Commandments. I thought that was quite a good. I thought that was quite a good compliment as well. Um, and you know what worked for me is this part of Australia is very, very renowned. If you came here alone and you were sitting in a bar alone in the cities in Australia, people will leave you there alone all night long. And if you want to talk to locals and meet locals, it can be quite intimidating in cities in Australia. Everyone's like every city in the world. Um, They've got their own circles and they're busy. Mm -hmm. Um, If you were to turn up in this town or the Cairns or the towns that I write about there and you were sitting in a bar alone, you would have four or five people come over in the first half an hour. Hi, how you going? G'day. What are you doing here? How's things? And um, I figured if the devil was going to turn up somewhere and make mates and make a friend, it would be here. Because you just can't be left alone to be sad. You know, if you're sitting in a bar crying in your beer, we, we don't see that very much around here because you've got three people coming up, putting their arm around you going, you're all right, let's, t-, you know, what's happening? Right. And, you want uh, another beer? Can I get you something? Yeah, it's yeah, that's right. And, when I go to cities in Australia, I find them the most un-Australian places. That They have become multinational every city in the world that i've been to now amsterdam singapore they could be the same city anywhere they all have the same things there's something beautiful there's something different but outside of that all cities pretty much run to the same heartbeat and and i lived in one for four years and i've never been so lonely in my life and i tried to put that in the book as well because we lucifer noticed that we lived in this age of population this huge population but we're also living in this galling age of loneliness Mm -hmm. and you know people are so lonely when the numbers defy loneliness we shouldn't be lonely with the amount of population we should not be lonely in the digital age i mean seriously you can reach out and touch anyone with the digital age anymore yeah and look at us we're on other sides of the planet and Mm -hmm. we may have had a lag in the first five minutes of talking or so but now that lag has gone and we're talking like we're face to face in real life um so i think that that loneliness has 
probably stemmed from the digital world a little bit. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I noticed personally when I locked myself away for 10 years to write the book and was only writing to people um, on computers, my conversational skills dropped off mm -hmm. in that time. The computer sapped away some of my ability to relate to other human beings. And, and even though it was just a decade, you know, these poor people that ha are born into the digital world and the millennials that have always had their phones with them, I wonder how much of that has been stolen from them. From it, I think it's, it ha has contributed to a lot of distance between people. Yeah. Now, my daughter, she doesn't know how to use a phone, but she knows how to use certain apps like Discord and communicate very well using written language. Right. <laughs> but face-to-face -face stuff or actually speaking mm -hmm. is reserved for special people, occasions. Yeah, or... special occasions or people she's really close to. Me, I've actually gotten to the point where I missed communication. So instead of typing to everyone, hey, you want to jump yeah. on a call work, quick? <laughs> yeah. You know what this reminds me of, Melissa, is um, mine and your generation, when we were kids, there was in Australia one phone in the house. Mm -hmm. And generally it was in the living room and you had to talk with whoever was in the house around you. So you really didn't have privacy, you know? We, and, ha uh, we had had the same thing. We had yeah. a hundred foot cord, you know, to connect the base <laughs> to the, <laughs> you know, the headset part and walk around with this hundred foot cord. And if it got a kink, then you couldn't hear anything. So you can walk to the next state practically to get some privacy. Yeah, well, well, and you know what happened was everyone was fairly cryptic on the phone in those days. Mm -hmm. Now, um, now everyone's very open on the phones and mm -hmm. it's the opposite now. Everyone's very open on the phones, but in real life, they're a little bit more hesitant. And, and of course, we all know about these keyboard warriors who are super brave and super um, amazing on, on the computer, you know, and, and when I meet people like that in real life, I, they never call me the things that they say to people on the, on mm. the computers, you know, that, yeah. that sense, that sense of one-on-one um, -on -one respect and fear. Uh, Cause I think uh, in Australia, everyone is sort of brought up to respect the person that they meet and fear them a little bit as well. You don't want to get on their bad side. Don't irritate them. Don't, don't make them mad. Um, but now computers, seem to take all that away and, and oh yeah there's phone. no fear anymore it's I, i'm going to say anything i want to say and it doesn't matter if it hurts your feelings because it's only on the computer that's right but, and and you know in reality conversations don't go that way mm -hmm. and and arguments in particular don't go that way and i i was raised to believe that and, and it stuck with me a long time a, a gentleman said to me once you know if you have to raise your voice the argument's lost mm -hmm. you're not arguing anymore no, you're and, not. And I was raised the same way. My grandfather used to say it all the time. If you're raising your voice, you already lost your argument. Yeah. And, and very simple things to hear. But when you're a young person, they're very important to hear. I think those things. Mm -hmm. and, and now with computers, who's saying that? And who's, you know, when, when I was rude as a young teenager, someone would slap me in the face or punch me in the mouth, you know, and where's, where's that uh, limit now is, is what I really worry about, you know, and, and, and 
as we spoke in our last interview, I get a little bit of trouble from people, but when I meet them at book signings and things like that, no one says the things they say to me on computers. You know, it's a whole different situation. And I get kind of scared because I'm new to computers. I kind of think, oh, that's what people are like now. And you know, they're, they're going to be that angry, voicing, bully kind of person. And, and to be honest, in reality with my writing, I've never met that person face to face. I meet them on the computer all the time. Exactly. How many times as authors do we get the negative whatever backlash, but we yeah. get to a author event, book signing, book fair, whatever it is, we never hear that negative ever. No, and they know we're there. They they know all the information as all our other readers do. Um, so that gave me a certain amount of they're bluffing me mm -hmm. as well. Because I, I used to take it quite personally. I never really got emails before. I'm a farmer. I never dealt with people, uh, strangers, if you like. And at first I took it really personally. It was breaking my heart that these people could say such awful things. And, and I kind of made the mistake of trying to be friendly and fix things up. And, uh, you know, that, that was a mistake on my behalf, but it's a you learning curve. You can't fix a, pull, a bully. You really can't. <laughs> no. And, 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 and and the more you do, the the more justified I think they get. I, I just suck the oxygen out of those situations now and, and have learnt better. But at first, yeah, you're dead right. You can't change a bully's mind. They're, they're stuck on that one um, thought and, and there's no derailing it. So the thing I love about Lucifer is I get such beautiful responses and I get one that is a little bit of a worry. He calls me, he writes me an email once a week and he just calls me Satan and I... I think he believes that I'm writing that autobiographical. It's autobiographical. Uh, sorry, I said that wrong. But um, yeah, so at first I didn't know if he was serious, and I still don't know if he's joking. Or, but he'll say things like, "How many souls have you seen today that you're going to destroy?" And "Hello, Satan. Hope you're enjoying the tropical fruit." And you know, "Hello, Satan." <laughs> and I'm, I'm like. Okay, what, what do I do with that? Um, oh, I, I've been called everything under the sun. You know, yeah. I, I write fantasy or I write business. One of the two. That's, that's what I write. Fantasy. Or I write travel. But What was the other one? Fantasy and? Fantasy, travel, and business. Oh, business. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm in. Your with business people. Mm -hmm. So it's everything in between And when I'm reading about my dragons or my witches and whatever, it's like, what are you? Is Satan worshiper? I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and no matter what business you run, no matter what business you run, there's people that hate that business, right? I, yeah. I've had a few businesses in my life and, and I learned quickly that you just can't please everybody. And, uh, you know, anything to do with food or, health or health service, you, you always get those bad people. So I was kind of glad I had that as a background before I started writing because mm -hmm. I'd hate to be a new young writer and, um, and be focused on what Facebook people say. And, and because if you're 20 something now, Facebook and all these platforms are your identity to a certain degree. And I wonder how young, shy writers are going with that you know when mm -hmm. when i read all that right um, i was what i was on facebook earlier today and there's an author she's wrote her first or second book and she gets all this negative chatter on facebook so she's like i'm done i'm not writing another book i'm like look 
how sad is that? Because you and I know, and anyone that's written a book, everyone wants to write a book, but how few of us do it. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you get sick of hearing this, but when people realize I write a book, and I should tell you when people in this little town found out that I finished a book, they just assumed it was a coloring in book. Um, they had no idea I could write actual words, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, when you when you're in that early phase and you've taken those steps to do what many many can't, and one thing that irritates me today is people go, "Oh, I always wanted to write a book, and I'm going to write a book," and and I tell them, "Well, I hear it so many times, you know. Mm -hmm. and the ones that say that never do it. You and I and people that have written a book, we don't go around talking about it. We actually to just do it exactly and, uh, it's like my newest one's getting ready it should have been out this tuesday in walmart and it's congrats. coming out in hardcover in walmart on the 7th oh congratulations thank you oh. that's book like 17 or something for me but at the same time i never said i was writing 17 books i just said oh this is book 17 <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is how it goes. And, and and so when people come up to me and say that sort of stuff, I, I, I find that I'll probably never ever read their work. So so for people to mm -hmm. harass people that have taken that step and taken that time and and you and I are talking together, so you and I can say mm -hmm. perfectly honestly, we know the heartache, we know the long nights, we know the thoughtless nights, we know the friends we lose, the the social contact we lose, the the strange looks we get, the people that try to tell us that there's no money in writing and no money in these things. Um, you know, to take that first step and put your heart and soul out there like that and then have people wipe their feet on it mm -hmm. breaks my heart because I think in any industry, everyone starts off as a beginner. No one picks up a drum kit. You do not start out your career, regardless of what it is, as a CEO. You have no, to start right. somewhere. That's right, and 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 so many, so few first books make people famous. You know, mm -hmm. it's the third, the fifth, the seventeenth, the tenth. The it's it's never the one that you think is going to make you famous either. Um, so uh, discouragement like that, and it, that breaks my heart. And so the one thing I don't tolerate now in my life is people who don't tolerate. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think. Um, there's just so many cold people in the world that if I get that sense from them straight away, I, I get rid of them. It's not good for my art. I don't want my art to be associated with people like that. If people don't get it, then I don't really, I'm not really aiming for them if they don't get it. You know, the people mm -hmm. that do understand my work, they're the ones that I was, was, was trying to punch through to and where I get my joy from. Exactly. It's who you have to find your circle, right? You don't yeah. want your circle to be negative. You cut those negatives out and you find your circle a positive. And, and it's too easy to, I think, find the negatives. You know, mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure about yourself, but I once said to someone, you know, I'm a little bit insecure. I'm a bit of a hermit. I'm not really fond of crowds. And uh, he said, oh, that's perfect writer. And, and I was like, oh, oh, it, it kind of is. And, uh, you know, when you get little hints like that it's so much better than being told to you know throw your pen away and all this mm -hmm. stuff it's and, like and i am a hermit i like being in my house i don't like being out around people i love the people like this like we're doing but don't yeah. take me to like a museum my park and expect me to be oh hey hi <laughs> you have your work self and your mm -hmm. work front and then your home front and 
you know, uh, that's a tough thing to juggle in life for a lot of people too. I worked in health clubs most of my life and, and, you know, leaving work at work and your home personality at home is a very hard thing to juggle in hospitality type industries and things mm -hmm. like that. And, and, you know, I think a lot of writers are by nature very sensitive uh, and have to be, you know, I don't think I'm um, purposely sensitive, but sorry, I don't think I'm uh, sensitive by accident. I, I purposely try to feel things more. I purposely try to look a little deeper. Uh, I don't think I have writer's eyes, but I try to look through writer's eyes all the time. And so when these people who write their first books and get told terrible things, you know, I, I think that people don't understand the, the amount of mental fortitude they've had to go through to get to those ideas and to get those things written down. And it's so easy to, to criticize too. You know, and, and, and uh, I think if I was a young writer, I would just do what I do now and not really pay much attention to that stuff. You know, just try and. Your first book is always the hardest because you have to get over the everyone hates me. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> once you get That's rid right. of the, the everyone hates me, you don't care anymore and you can actually just write. <laughs> yeah. And, and isn't that a freedom in itself? You know, mm -hmm. once you sort of get to that point where I don't care. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that doesn't mean that you don't care about the words you're writing. I don't care what people think. Um, but I'm very, very fussy with what I put out and, and mm -hmm. what I so even if um, people hate my writing, I usually would like to think, well, hopefully they like the words written and the style that I write and and the way I write, they might not write what like what I write about. But um, you know, if they can find the one positive in your writing, then it's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. And and I really try not to focus on the negative. I think it helps sometimes when good things happen and you get a little bit too much of a roll going and your head gets a little bit big. You know, it's nice mm -hmm. to be brought back down to earth with a couple of people that aren't big fans. Um, because once again, it's a dangerous world of the positive as well. People can be saying the positive things all the time and you can almost believe it all mm -hmm. and, and you, your head swells up and you just live with your head in the cloud and you have to be yeah. popped every once in a while yeah that's right and um i think too because we read typing in our own voices it's a self-affirmation that can be a little dangerous mm -hmm. You know, when we're reading a, a really good review, we're using our own inner dialogue and it's not their voice we're hearing or some stranger's voice, it's our own dialogue. And that's mm -hmm. very soothing, isn't it? It's, it's, it, 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 you it know. is those wonderful reviews that we read and we put our own spin on the words. Yeah, it's wonderful. I love it. And, you know, I, I think some people that write reviews are some of the most amazing writers I've ever seen in my life. Mm -hmm. I get some really well structured reviews and i think oh i wish i could write that well <laughs> their book reviews at school must have been five star um but I, I um i love i love words and the thing is if i read positive words i can love them even more so i try to read them every now and then when i'm feeling a little bit insecure about my writing and and just sort of remind myself yeah i'm a writer because you know, the greatest writers I've ever met have never thought they were writers. And um, 
I well, kind of know at, that. Feeling. Look at Stephen King. We all know how big Stephen King is. If you go yeah. back to the 1980s with his book Carrie, and we all know Carrie from the movies. Yeah. He thought it was garbage and he threw it away. <laughs> it's just crazy. And 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 even um the Harry Potter series and stuff mm-hmm. like that, you know, I've, I don't because I'm so far away from the world, I don't know how true it is, but I believe um, a, a script reader's daughter is responsible for the for that book becoming famous, or an editor's daughter, because um, she got so desperate sending people manuscripts that she thought I'll send some to sports people and all sorts of places outside her genre. And this bloke went home for two weeks holiday, and I hope this is true, otherwise I'm wasting your time. But apparently the manuscript was sitting on the table amongst all this other stuff, and his nine-year-old, ten-year-old daughter picked this thing up and said, "Oh, you got to read this." Harry Potter book and I kind of think if it wasn't for this nine or ten year old girl going dad check this out um the whole world would be bereft of her yeah the best books come by the least expectant person yeah I, I think that too and um and again because we're talking to one another it's hard to make it sound like I'm not patting myself on the back but I think I did really well in Australia with that I wasn't the next expected author. I, I don't talk like the authors that are here. I don't especially write like them or look like them. And Australia has been, we have had a king here for 10 or 15 years who's been unchallenged. And he's a, he's a wonderful writer, um, but there's been no other stream or anyone that can compete with the way he writes. And, and he's a very intellectual, scholarly man, and I'm not. so. I write very differently to him, but still with the, a similar effect. And mm-hmm. and um, I'm getting a great response from Australians because there's a new voice out there all of a sudden and, and not one that was just part of the chain that has been around for the last decade or so. And um, being the new voice can, can sort of have its benefits, I think. You know, it can. Um, it really can. It, but we are almost out of time. So where can oh, our listeners and our viewers find you? Well, I'm, I'm on Amazon and all the platforms and, and this is my paperback here. If you want a paperback, they're there. Also, Lucifer has been done in an audio book um, by a person from this particular area who who knows the accent, knows the language. So it's very, very authentic. And uh, that just makes it a little bit funnier, I think, as well, when you get the real that would dialogue. Be, that would be hilarious for someone not from that area to hear That's it right. in your language. And I say your language because there's words there that are not said in any other country around the world. That's right. And because he's from the area, I I actually had people from Sydney test read it for me, but they'd say the words all wrong, you know, uh, Mm because and and without the the cadence and the the proper technique, the the words can sound a little bit uh, not as lustrous. So with this guy, because even around here, his voice is very distinctive. And we have a very distinctive accent up here mm-hmm. at any time, but um, the uh, the his accent just captures it beautifully, and, and and it's an adult's book, so there's a little bit of swearing in there, and he he swears beautifully. It's so funny the way, it's so beautiful the way he swears. But we also have um, Buzzsprout podcasts as well, mm-hmm. and um, Goodreads has my work, and um, there's a website on my Facebook page and things like that as well. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you, Melissa. It was so good to see you again and take care.
always. And for all of our viewers and our listeners, happy reading. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.